Until high school, I did not go by Pablo, in fact. My name was PB. This is The Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody. Pardon it. Here's your host, Greg Cody. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody and Chris Cody. (laughs) This is different because... uh, we're visiting a home in Fort Myers Beach, Florida. Are Lake. there people in the home, or are you just visiting? Oh, there, the are, home? <laughs> there are people in the home, and uh, for the first time in the history of the Greg Cody Show, I'm actually uh, doing this opening before a live audience. We have a live studio audience, and uh, it's weird. Uh, later in the podcast, I will be giving the address of the home <laughs> so that it will become like a tourist attraction. Wow, we even have a laugh track. I heard some laughter there. That's perfect. We do. This is a real, genuine laugh track. Uh, it's, it's not canned. It's like, you're, it's like you're Jimmy Fallon in Orlando, like at Universal, but you're not. You're Greg Cody, and you're somewhere else. Right, exactly. But uh, no, it's fun, and uh, I'm freezing my ass off. I don't know if my voice sounds cold or not, but it's unseasonably cold here in Fort Myers, uh, which is on the west coast of Florida, for those of you far and wide, <laughs> uh, visiting dear friends of ours, uh, and uh, that kind of thing. Look at this! Look at this vaccinated man just hitting the town. That's true. We're uh, I'm in the company of vaccinated people, so we're bulletproof up here. I mean, wow. you know, the, the coronavirus could take human shape right now and start banging on our door, and we would be laughing at it because uh, we're all vaccinated. We're we've all had our shots. Um, Can you tell mom to hold the coughing till after the podcast, please? Great. She did cough, and normally it's me who coughs live on the podcast. So I actually appreciate that somebody else is coughing. Uh, on cue, I want everyone to call. What do we have today? Uh, well, we have a, a beautiful... Is this just you rambling for 30 minutes or do we have somewhere that no, we're going? I do plan to ramble for another minute or two after this, but uh, we have Pablo Torre, uh, the Ooh. ESPN superstar, host of uh, ESPN Daily, which... You say every ESPN guest is an ESPN superstar. Sometimes I just say star. Hmm. Um, I think when we had Sarah Spain on, and I shouldn't have. I should have called her a superstar, but I just called her a star, even though she's a multi-platform uh, um, aerialist. But um, in the case of Pablo Torre, he's the ESPN Daily flagship uh, podcast of ESPN. He does a great job. Uh, he's one of the smartest people I know. When you're in the company of Pablo Torre, part of you feels dumber because you know how mm-hmm. smart he is. But yeah. Part of you gets smarter through osmosis. Like I feel like, like I picked up about 15 to 20 IQ points uh, Mm -hmm. speaking with Pablo because he's so (laughs) smart. He's erudite. But yet, in addition to being incredibly smart, uh, he's also one of the funniest people I know. So, I mean, now you're just giving out like compliment. You're you're being overly complimentary. He's he's the smartest person I know. He's the funniest person I know. You're the kind of guy that has like 20 hamburgers in your top five burgers of all time. Yeah, that may be true. But uh, to tease Pablo... uh, we mainly had him on because uh, he's Filipino, so he's an Asian-American. And uh, we had him on to talk about the uh, Asian-American hate crimes that just happened in, in Atlanta. And that's obviously very serious stuff. And then we veer wildly off into fun stuff with Pablo. So you'll want to catch that. Um, but before we get started, there's uh, something that's happening uh, that's pretty incredible in the science world that I wanted to speak about, which oh, is God. that... Um, a study has revealed that pigs can be taught to play video games and particularly uh, with their snouts and particularly <laughs> video games that involve a joystick. Now, 
you know, we don't give pigs enough credit. They're smart, they're very smart animals. And, but the question here is, and, and the study, by the way, is, is by a journal called uh, Frontiers in Psychology. <laughs> and my question is. They're really doing important work. That's it. The issue, here, <laughs> the issue here isn't that pigs can be taught to play video games. It's that why does a psychological journey, journal mm-hmm. want to know that pigs can play video games? Like, what is it to be learned to benefit uh, humankind, perhaps, or pig kind? What I don't understand is maybe you're teaching the the pig to play so the pig can technically play, but there's no way they're good. Like I'll destroy a pig in Madden. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like like my um that that's a good point by you and and I would liken it <laughs> to me playing Ms. Pac-Man, which has the joystick. It's got the little red ball. Right. Uh, I challenge. I, I want Frontiers in Psychology to present to me their smartest, best video. Yeah. playing pig and he'll i want to whoop its ass yeah he'll whoop that pig's ass i will uh, he'll be snorting and snouting and i'll be laughing at him because i'm gonna kick that pig's ass you'll be snorting i will, I will be snorting i'll be snorting i mean i mean my, i could technically say my three-year-old can play video games too because she can hold a controller right but, that, but she's terrible yeah you I'm, know what i mean it's, i'm trying to teach her to play ms pac-man and it's not going well I need to watch this pig in action before I really have an opinion on this, right. but I just can't believe in any world that this pig is good at video games. I couldn't agree more. Plus, the other thing is, when you play My Ms. Pac-Man, you have to sit on uh, like a bar stool. And I'm mm-hmm. trying to picture like a big pig sitting right. on a bar stool without falling down. So that's that's one thing. I'm picturing a pig now with like a headset and being like a Twitch streamer and like, you know, right. getting caught in like a Myers Leonard controversy, but it's a pig. <laughs> Instead of Myers Leonard, like snorting, uh, snorting an anti-Semitic uh, right. slur. Yeah, that could happen. Um, before we move on, Christopher, uh, I want you to make a mental note because you book a lot of the guests for this podcast, and we've had on weird guests like Whistlers and Snugglers. Um, there's a guy <laughs> named Miles Jack or Mike Jack, two first names, who just won a hot uh, pepper eating contest, and he ate three California Reaper hot chili peppers that had a 1.6 million Scoville heat unit uh, rating, which is like, uh, you know, 100,000 times hotter than a jalapeno pepper. So I'd like to book this guy as a guest and have him describe what it's like to eat that pepper. Could you make a note of that? I like that. Are we on air? Are we having this meeting? Is this like an on-air meeting? Yeah, we're having an on-air meeting. His, okay. his name is Mike Jack. So this seems like a text that could have just been sent. I know, but, but I, I, I also want to make fun of him for having two, two first names. I mean, your name's Greg Cody. Yeah, nobody's named Cody. Except, really? Well, C-O-D-Y, you're right. I mean, it's pronunciation-wise, yeah. you have two first names. Berlin, did we ever, I mean, part of my studio audience is my wife here, did we ever consider naming Christopher Cody, C-O-D-Y, so his name would have been Cody Cody? No. Christopher, how would you have <laughs> felt growing up? That was, as, a great, that was a great appearance by mom on the podcast. Yeah, it really was. We got two things from her. We got a cough, and we got her saying no. How would you have felt growing up as Cody Cody? I would have felt like my parents put me in a losing position. Right. And and here's the other thing. You're embarrassed by your middle name. So it's, it's not like you could have taken safe haven. I'm not embarrassed by my middle name. It's, it's a little strong. Say your middle name. <laughs> Wilfred. Yeah, say it proud. <laughs> I mean, it's a terrible name, but I, there's history behind it. So it's like, you know. Cody I, I, I Wilfred Cody. I used to tell kids growing up that it was William. I bet you did. That was my idea. Right. Wow. There she is again. Three appearances for mine. It was you. Wait a minute. We're breaking news here. 
when you found out he was embarrassed by Wilfred, you told him to say William? That's an outrage. My father's turning in his grave right now if he weren't cremated. Um, <laughs> He's slushing around in his urn. That's right. That's right. Uh, we can say that because we love him, and it's been a while. Where um, are those ashes, by the way? Not to get too more. I think they're in my brother's house, the famous Uncle Dick. Um, the famous <laughs> Uncle Dick. He is famous. Uh, our podcast listeners love him. Uh, we've been rambling on a while. Should we get to Pablo? I think we should. I think it's an award-winning interview. Conversation. Oh, stop. You think everything you do is great. Let's get to Pablo. No, but Torre. in this case, it really is. You're really going to enjoy this. So uh, here's Pablo Torre. Hello. Pablo. Greg. How are you doing? I am doing all right. We're on an unaccompanied Zoom call right now. It's just you and me. It's scary, right? So... You told me that Christopher is off doing very important things in lieu of this. He's at a golf tournament, not working, <laughs> but just spectating and, and probably drinking copious amounts of beer, neglecting his uh, podcast producer's duties. So I'm flying solo, but um, I really appreciate you doing this. This is, by the way, uh, your maiden voyage on my modest little podcast. It is great to be on a maiden solo flown voyage with you, Greg. <laughs> It really is. I mean, um, I, see, I see that recording. There's a, the word recording is in the top left corner. There's a bright red dot. So I think, I think we've successfully, you've successfully made Chris Cody obsolete. Congratulations. Yes, that's correct. Uh, but, but he, he, he can do the editing and, and take our meandering conversation and turn it into some little cogent magical thing so that's uh that that's where he comes in later but um so uh, long as he leaves in all the parts where i just made fun of him i'm fine with everything else oh that, that's a must that's a must um be, before we get started pablo i i have to ask you because i've wondered this and anyone who uses um uh, a middle initial in their name like pablo s story begs people to ask what does the <laughs> s stand for the s stands for spider-man okay unfortunately unfortunately that is a thing that I've been trying to make happen for a while. It has not stuck. <laughs> it is actually my mom's maiden name. My mom's maiden name is Sisan, and I am very proudly wearing her, her maiden name nice. on our maiden voyage as wow. my middle initial. And I do it because my dad is also Pablo Torre. Mm -hmm. And so it's confusing. I need to differentiate. Also, more importantly, Greg, as I think you sniffed out by merely asking me the question, as a print journalist, it gives me gravitas or it gave me gravitas when I did write in print that made me seem far more important beyond my years. It does. I, I have to say that. And I once had a conversation with uh, my friend, Scott Price, whose uh, professional byline is SL, SL Price. The right. legend, the legendary Scott Price, my former colleague at SI, of course. You know, he's Scott to his friends, but SL, you know, sort of... Uh, SL price. Wow. He, he must be important type thing. And, and I actually <laughs> once uh, toyed around with the idea of, of changing my byline from Greg Cody to Gregory P. Cody, just to elongate Ooh. it, give it a little bit of gravitas. But uh, the Miami Herald talked me out of that. But at any rate, I like GP Cody. GP really? Cody, you show up, people aren't sure. Like, wait a minute. Is because this is the SL Price thing. Is Scott a man? Is he a woman? Right. Is he like one of those food critics whose face can't be shown on the internet? Right. But like when you spot them, it's incredibly important that you know that they're in the restaurant. There is this mystique around the double initial first name that I am tempted by my 
myself and I do respect. Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm going to reconsider that. I'm going to make a late career uh, uh, name change uh, inspired by you. Pablo Torre, of course, is the host of ESPN Daily, the great uh, flagship uh, podcast, really, for right. ESPN. And um, you see him on all kind of platforms around the horn, highly questionable, uh, occasionally pardon the interruption. Pablo, thanks for being here. And you are of Filipino descent. And so the terrible... Yes. Uh, hate crime against Asian Americans that that happened in Atlanta a few days ago, where eight people were killed, six of them Asian American, most of them women. When you hear about something like that, how do you feel it? Do you feel it first as an Asian American? Do you do you feel it first as a as a journalist? How does that hit you? I think I feel it all at the same time, and it's important. I think for me, as I am currently safe and well and lucky to be so. I feel it for these women. I mean, for the victims. I was just reading, Greg, it takes a couple of days as a journalist. We understand this, but it takes a couple of days to sort of get like, oh, someone actually interviewed these women's children and their friends, and we get a three-dimensionality to their lives. And part of the story um, in the bigger picture, but also in the micro, is how erased a lot of Asian Americans feel in general. So when you hear a story like this, I'm immediately sort of magnetized to the interior lives of the people whose lives were lost. And so I just read a story last night, which, you know, tore me up. It was about one of these sons who, you know, was as vulnerable and as shocked and as depressingly numb by the end of it, as you can imagine. And look, I encourage people to go find these stories and read them. I don't have to recite them to you here. But the point is that there is a fear, and that is something that has come to shape what it's like to be Asian American over the last year, Greg. I don't really know another way to say that. A lot of Asian Americans feel unsafe. We feel afraid. And it coincides, of course, with both the political language being used, China virus, Kung flu, and how that not merely targets the Chinese government, as if that was ever really the laser-targeted object of derision there. But anybody who can be mistaken for a proxy for such a thing, which means millions of Asian Americans who, for obvious reasons, I hope, having to do with logic and geography, are victims of the very thing we are now being blamed for. And we are being blamed for it out of a sheer tradition of nationalism and white supremacy, which is just like mind-blowingly insane and bigoted. And so there's that, there are the videos which have now gone viral of Asian elderly people being beaten up by criminals on the street, physically assaulted over and over again in the Bay Area, New York, across America. And then you add that to, I think, just the legacy, Greg, of Asian people feeling forgotten, unrepresented, invisible, flattened out as if we all are the same, like a Philip. I mean, Greg, man, I, I'm going to let you jump in here in a second because I can go on forever, but it's just staggering to me as a Filipino, like the Philippines is not Japan. The Philippines and Japan, for instance, were at war with each other. You know, you can go through the textbooks. We are not the same place, but you come to America and everything gets flattened out. And so a Filipino is a Japanese person, is a Chinese person, is a Vietnamese person, a Thai person. You go down the list and it's just 
a reminder that we don't have the language to even understand what an Asian American is in the first place. And I think it all starts there and then it metastasizes into horrors like what we're seeing this, this week. Pablo, in, in terms of mistreatment of black people, we think of it as systemic racism. The hatred against Asian Americans, is that systemic as well? I do think this is a really important distinction to draw. Like what counts as systemic? I would say that in police departments, certainly is not the institutional concern around anti-Asian sentiment that there is with anti-Blackness, for instance. But I think one important wrinkle to our understanding of these things happened with this very story in Atlanta, where the police officer who goes up to give the press conference uses language that rings of institutional racism and bigotry. He says a couple of things that I think are instructive here. He says in characterizing the crime itself, that because the suspect who was in his early 20s described it as not racially motivated, this is framework that be offered to the public and should be the lens through which we see this thing. But just dig a little bit deeper into that and you're like, hold on, wait a minute. First off, we have a Korean newspaper quoting a report from one of the workers who says that the assailant, the alleged gunman said, I'm going to kill all the Asian people in here. And so you're like, okay, well, that seems like on its face, a repudiation of not racially motivated in quotes. But the other thing is, if you do use the example that the police officer who was running the press conference used, you would say, okay, so therefore this would be an instance of a frustrated sex addict who was then taking out his frustrations on these massage parlors where he had been tempted. And when we talk about the word systemic, Greg, you got to consider like, okay, wait a minute. There is a system of harm built around the notion of Asian women as objects of sexual desire, as subhuman tools, means for men to obviously indulge in all sorts of perversities and sexual predilections, which is a story that stretches from America and massage parlors to the Philippines, to Thailand, the sex trade, sex work everywhere. And that to me inextricably is tied to being Asian. So there is that part of it. But then the other thing is that police officer in question also had on Facebook, it was revealed within hours, posted and advertised t-shirts that said, China virus. Yeah. And it's just like, okay. So so the idea of like proportionality and scale here, I it's it's really hard to quantify any of this, but I would say that systemic racism takes many forms and that the larger tradition to really answer your question here, Greg, beyond the one example and anecdote that I've just offered here, the larger tradition that is here stretches all the way back to the Chinese Exclusion Act in the 1880s and Japanese internment in World War II. And it goes through time and it has been codified as institutionally racist and bigoted and prejudiced. And it sort of continues from there in casual and official ways. And so it's a different vision of a system, but I would argue strongly that it's a system nonetheless. Yeah, and, and <clears throat> that same um, officer you referred to had characterized the gunman as, quote, uh, having had a bad day, a really bad oh, yes. day, as if he hadn't 
that same person hadn't just shattered the lives of uh, of eight families. Um, Paul, yeah, but can I just say one really quick yeah. thing on that because I'm so glad you reminded me of it. Merely that there is just this vast recurring insensitivity towards like how do the victims, and in this case and in general, how do the Asian Americans feel when they hear something like that? And I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, it's horrifying. Yeah, and when you envision um, the woman in her 80s, you know, trying to walk home from the market uh, in San Francisco, being the subject of, of a brutal attack, it, it, if that doesn't hit home with everyone, um, then, then we have a, a bigger problem as a country even than I think we do, because how can you not relate to crime against not just Asian Americans, but against the elderly, you know? It's just, it, it, it's, look, we can, we can tumble down a rabbit hole in terms of discussing, well, who has a right to not be attacked? No one should be attacked, of course. We don't live in a medieval um, system of mutual vengeance where, okay, you know, strong people, we, we know they're going to be fine. No one should be attacked. But to your point, the idea of people who are targeting the defenseless, the weak, because specifically, and this is speaking to larger Asian American psychoses, I think, people who are being attacked because they are filed as weak. People, oh, the Asian, they're not going to fight back. Like, it, it's so heartbreaking on a couple of levels there. And there is another one that I want to add here, too, because I want to give it full weight. Being an Asian woman, a supermajority, I believe, of these attacks have been against Asian women. And of course, what happened in Atlanta further, as I explained, complicates it with the notion of like sexual objectification and all of that. But it's, it's particularly scary to be an Asian woman right now, and that should not be discounted. Pablo, let's uh, <clears throat> move, move away from this and, and try to end with something uh, a little on the lighter side, because... Uh, yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Greg, I, I thank you, by the way, just uh, on, on a simple, honest note, thank you for asking about this, though, because one of the frustrations that we have as Asian Americans is, oh, maybe people, people, you know, they don't really care so much. But just having that sort of platform with you here on, on your illustrious podcast, Greg, <laughs> it all matters, man. So I thank you and I'm happy to move on to, yeah, some nonsense that yeah. we both know each other for. Right, right. It, it, no, but it, it, on, a, on a personal level, I mean, I'm, I'm an older white guy. And, and I just think it's important to be an ally for everyone. You know what I mean? Like, we as a country have to sort of be united in, in our outrage. You know, it can't, be, it can't be left to Asian Americans to feel the pain of this. You know, and I think there's just, I, I think talking about it can't hurt, right? I mean, just. It's, it's oftentimes all it feels like I can do. Is, is use right. the microphone available to me and the ears that are bended towards me um, and exploit that. But let me just point out, Greg, I, I do consider you an ally because roughly, here's our segue, roughly one year ago this week, I had you record part of a Linkin Park song that I'm not even sure if you ever heard, but that happened a year ago tomorrow, Saturday, we're talking on a Friday, and you wow. sent me like multiple takes, all of which are recording booth quality that I hope Maybe Chris will edit them in. It starts with... One thing. I don't know why. It doesn't even matter how hard you try. Keep that in mind. I designed this rhyme to explain in due time. All I know... Time. It's a valuable thing. 
Watch it fly by as the pendulum swings. Watch it count down to the end of the day. And the clock ticks life away. It's so unreal. You didn't look out below. Watch the time go right out the window. Trying to hold on to didn't even know. I wasted it all just to watch you go. Kept everything inside. And even though I tried, it all fell apart. And what it meant to me will eventually be a memory. Of a time when I tried so hard and got so far. But in the end, it doesn't really matter I had to fall to lose it all But in the end, it doesn't even matter Well, uh, Pablo, I, I do remember that And uh, happy anniversary to that A year ago, man Yeah I, I, It's many, many milestones Many timelines have converged and confused me Over the last 365 days But that one um, I'm so glad that we can point to and be like, ah, we did something, something for ourselves a year ago. Exactly. Pablo, you, uh, turning to sports, you, um, you invented the, the notion of trust the process, I think, when it, when it came to the Sixers. And now uh, you're a Knicks fan, uh, can't help but be, I guess. And um, are you buying into the Knicks right now because they're around 500, they're on playoff pace? Um, are you trusting whatever process the Knicks have, and do they have this, one? Greg, this is my largest identity crisis because I grew up ancestrally, genetically a Knicks fan, born and right. raised, blocked away from Madison Square Garden, walking distance. When the Sixers, as a community, basically invited me on to their championship parade, which has not happened yet, like they said, you know, Pablo, you got to float. Pablo, come marry these two Sixer fans, which I did at a lottery party for the 76ers, and they were terrible. I stood in front of people and married, which is a recurring theme, as you know, in my life from there. Like, I would marry other people that we know. But sure. marrying Sixer fans and being brought into that fan base at a time when people really didn't think they would amount to anything, they converted me. To a Sixers fan, I consider myself someone who roots for that team out of sheer naked self-interest, as you may have already diagnosed, but also because rooting for the Knicks was unbelievably miserable by the end. And so do I believe in the Knicks right now? I am not rooting for the Knicks right now. I hope that they do well, but I do not cheer them. I am enormously frustrated by the existence of the worst owner in professional sports, in my opinion, James Dolan, who continues right. to make everything bad that he touches, whether it's stopping Patrick Ewing via his security forces when he's trying to win the Big East tournament, despite being Patrick Ewing at Madison Square Garden, which is just endlessly mind blowing to right. literally apprehending and throwing out Charles Oakley from that self building, which is like, what are we even doing here to various terrible stances, philosophical, political, personal that he has and otherwise. Um, he's made it almost impossible for me to cheer for the Knicks. What are they doing now? They're 500. They are a 500 team that feels like they are a 750 team. And that level of delusion is kind of endearing, but I have very little faith that a team where Julius Randle, as legit as he is, an all-star, I have very little faith that that team as constituted is a team whose long-term future I can feel good about, even if I did want to feel good about it. So not so much. Tell me about your con of mammals theory. Um, is it a joke? Is it something you feel strongly about? What? Tell the people about that. I do feel strongly about it, Greg. It is one of my life philosophies. It is merely this. We fall in love 
things, and this really ties into our larger conversation of the day, we fall in love with things that remind us of ourselves. There are certain qualities, certain traits. A dog is adorable. A dog is a mammal. A dog has facial features, eyebrows that can wag up and down, a tongue that acts as ours does at times, and therefore right. we fall in love and give that dog, that animal, a wide berth. So we have great sympathy for our mammal friends, understandably. At the same time though, and I'm curious as to your stance on this, we don't really give a shit about birds. Right. Like a bird, Greg, a bird can literally speak English to us. There are birds that can communicate in our tongue. Yeah, they say minor phrases. Minor right. absolutely. We don't give a shit about them. Why? The con of mammals. Only mammals relate to mammals. No, we have far more allies and friends in the animal kingdom if we give ourselves a little bit more imagination. Uh, yeah, I, I've had birds uh, in the past as pets, and uh, you don't get much out of a bird. You know, the, the bird is not giving you a lot. Uh, it's looking at you with, with soulless, beady eyes. It's, it's always seeming agitated. You know, you never see a bird uh, in the wild, like on your sidewalk or something. You never see a bird strolling casually. You know, the bird is always like hopping or <laughs> flitting. And, and, and uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. You're currently that. making bird movements right now, Greg. I, I'm sad for the listener who can't... St- to enact what it's like to be a non-casual walking bird. Exactly. Um, Pablo, Can I point uh, something out? What, just one more thing on the con yeah. of mammals. The reason why it became a problem is because I told a certain friend of ours, let's use the initials for identity uh, protection's sake, a certain friend with the initials DL, his dog had died. Mm-hmm. And I happened to be in the city where he lives and works. And I was trying to comfort him. And then... Over time, I began to tip my true hand, and I tried to make him feel better by explaining the con of mammals. <laughs> and he did not—he did not take it well. It so, may have been an ill-timed uh, lesson on your part. The branding wasn't smart. Just so I get this straight, are the mammals conning me? Like, is my dog pulling one over on me? Or I would argue, Greg, and that's such a great question. I would argue that we are conning ourselves. Okay. We are conning ourselves. We have, I mean, there's a larger, oh man, uh, there's a rabbit hole here about, like I wrote my thesis in college on child homicide in America, which really comes up a lot when I interview professional athletes. And by that, I mean, um, I try to wedge it into every conversation possible. Basically, biological anthropology and the evolution of how we have sympathy for things. We're easily tricked. I will take the example of Mickey Mouse the beloved logo of my corporate parent company. Mickey Mouse and the big round eyes and the cheeks. Why does Mickey Mouse look that way? Why does Mickey Mouse not look like, you know, an actual mouse in any real way? Right. It's because those facial features were designed to replicate the human child so that we subconsciously would have great affection for the rosy cheeks, big eyes, the innocence, the vulnerability of such a creature. And so it is with the con of mammals. We're just playing tricks on ourselves, man. Um, And by the way, I really hope that's cool for me to say to my corporate parent company. Well, I I, I do wonder how the the future of Disney might have been altered uh, irrevocably had Mickey Mouse in his introduction in Steamboat Willie Look not like a cartoon, but like an actual mouse. 
like a hyper realistic right pixar animated just like no let's let's go all in on the realism here david attenborough planet earth this i feel like i would not have ever yeah my my whole trajectory in my life would be different because walt disney would not exist in the same way no he really wouldn't um pablo i want to let you go but i i have to ask you this because it interests me from a, a journalism standpoint um now that you're doing uh espn daily a great podcast Tell me about the machinations of that and, and the process of doing it, because some of the episodes are not tethered to uh, breaking news. Like you did one recently, I thought it was very interesting, on the longevity of old goats like uh, Brady and Serena from a science prism. Uh, but, yes. but sometimes uh, you do react to breaking news. And, and so if you hear about some major, you know, Tom Brady is retiring and you hear about it tomorrow morning, you have to immediately change all your plans and scramble and do that that day? Like, how does that work? Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're, I do, and I have, and I will again. Um, ESPN Daily, we see it. And thank you for saying those kind things. I see ESPN Daily as a daily news magazine that has like a documentary style approach to stories. So we like to weave in sound, but we also like to tell like, you know, um, reported stories stories, profiles, features that can either be more evergreen as the episode with Dave Epstein, who I consider the best sports science reporter in America about aging, that thing, but also we want to be responsive to the news cycle. So if, I mean, I remember one time this happened um, very vividly was it was the day that the Milwaukee Bucks went on that wildcat strike of their games in the bubble and all of sports had to respond in that domino effect fashion. I believe we were going to do like an episode on the Raiders for the next day. And like John Gruden was going to be a fun sort of light thing at late afternoon, that story in the bubble breaks and we scrap everything. And we end up staying till 30 in the morning. Um, and by stay, I mean, being on our computers because we're all working remotely, but we're staying up till one 30 in the morning. We get Malika Andrews from the bubble and we turn it into one of the episodes I'm most proud of because it was super relevant and newsy and the goal in so many words is if there is an enormous story that someone expects to hear about the next morning, we have an obligation to pivot. So when Tiger Woods got in his car accident, the most recent one, blew up everything, let's do an all Tiger episode. Mm -hmm. But on the other days, we like to consider ourselves like an alternate sort of method of consuming and hoovering up the sports news cycle, where we'll give you the news, but also we want to sort of give you a balanced meal of fun and light and smartening stories that can, I think, have shelf life well beyond. So we're trying to do a dangerous dance that basically has me working all the time. Well, Better I, I was about to say, when, when you do a daily podcast that's as well reported as yours, it feels like it must be all consuming. Did you, you took the ESPN Daily Baton from Mina. Did you do so with any trepidation? Like, do I want to take this on? I, I had a little bit just because I respected it and I saw the potential of it and how much it would consume me if I ended up enjoying it. And I did end up enjoying it. I do end up, I do enjoy it. And also I have a staff that thank God I trust and they're full of excellent people who have great ears for podcast sound, but also have journalism like background. So I can trust them. And so we have this operation, Greg, where basically we have episode, multiple episodes being made at the same time every day. Um, and so it is a little bit like planes on a tarmac where we're just sort of like getting them on order and only then do you see them in the sky, but they've been sort of readying taxiing for a while. Um, but yeah, it's all consuming, man. But I, I really am proud of it and I enjoy it. And the mandate I have, if I can do something that I love that you do, because what are we doing here if not promoting ourselves in our podcasts right. at all times? 
<laughs> we consider ourselves worth your time. It's half an hour. And what we do is we have long conversations that we cut down to eliminate all the fat. And basically, you listen to ESPN Daily. The hope is it's going to sound different from other sports pods, especially that you may have heard. But it's going to be line by line, I think, impactful and worth the effort. So if you're out there, I appreciate it. And that's sort of what I'm doing when I am um, standing in my wife's closet, which is to my left, which is also known as the recording studio. Thanks to all of her fluffy shirts. I, I, the first podcast I ever recorded uh, a year ago in, in, May, in March, uh, I recorded in my closet because of, of all the beautiful uh, padding and the clothing. And I thought it would make a yes, greater sound. It does. And uh, yeah, at this point, like... I, I am hopeful at some point that will, I will get to like go out on the road with the microphone and like interview people again. Mm. But for now, I walk into my wife's. It's amazing, Greg. It's truly a psychedelic experience, unlike any other. I walk into my wife's closet, and inside on a given day is Bill Walton. And it's just like, oh, okay, here I am talking to Bill Walton from inside my wife's closet, which is about the most <laughs> fitting place, weirdly, cosmically speaking, for me to be doing this. So oh, it's, totally. It's kind of yeah. great. Mr. Ty died. Um, Pablo, I want to I leave you with a, a specific question, uh, which is um, tell me something about Pablo, Pablo Torre that, that uh, is, is unknown uh, outside of your immediate family and that people would find shocking. Wow. Okay. What would people find shocking about me that has not already been made into a bit or a meme? Right. I'm looking for a peccadillo. Um, you know, I'll take a weird... Yeah. There's so, I have to... I'm, I'm, I'm triangulating. Chris is going to edit some of this hemming and hawing out because I want to give you a good answer, but I'm triangulating between truly, truly shameful and just vulnerable enough to satisfy the conditions of your question. Yeah, I prefer um, truly shameful, but uh, you go where yeah. you want. Um, yeah, he'll edit this out, just like I hope he edits out when I uh, fumbled on the word Pablo a minute ago. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, how do, you, how do you, it's two syllables. How, how, do, you, how do you miss that? You know what? Let me let me take the spirit of that. I'll reveal something that I don't think I've actually talked about. It's not even that. Well, okay, I'll, I'll offer you this and I'll offer you something else as a backup. But for until high school, I did not go by Pablo. In fact, my name was PB, Pablo Bernard. So actually, Greg, oh my God, full circle here, man. Wow. I have repressed that memory, that version of myself so much that we had an entire conversation about how we should consider using two initials as our first name. Right. And I just remembered that I did that for years of my life. So Maybe. my middle name is Bernard, Pablo Bernard Cisan Torres. Wow. Two middle names, I should clarify. Okay. And so PB is what my family calls me still, um, is what my friends from grade school and before have called me. And when I got to high school, I was like, okay, I'm just going to set myself up if I keep going with PB for like PB and J, PP, right. P, P jokes, blah, blah, blah. And so, and what a statement this is. I went to the less comic name, Pablo. And so that name, which is obviously the name that I have my birth certificate, it, it, it really is more of a latter stage of life thing compared to my childhood experience because, yeah, I didn't want to be bullied. <laughs> when I got to high wow. school for being a two initial guy. Um, so PB Torre is absolutely who I am inside of this exterior uh, shell of gravitas and adulthood. You know what? That is a, that's a legit revelation. The idea that, uh, like, g give me an example of someone who calls you PB when, when they see you. Oh, my mom. I mean, they'll call me Peeb. 
my dad, really? all my, my brother, and my, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, my cousins, my, everybody who knew me before age 14, wow. that's who I am. Um, and it does feel, Greg, I've just excavated a lot of, I think, therapy work. Because of this revelation, uh, yeah, you must feel lighter as if, um, you know, something is, is off your shoulders. I do. I'm going to go into my weekend feeling unburdened, feeling like I have left a closet, even as I return to one in a couple of minutes to do more podcast recording. Well, beautiful. And uh, Pablo Torre, uh, who, who I'm going to refer to as Peeb from now on. Uh, I, I, I appreciate you uh, swinging by the podcast. I really do. GP, it has been my pleasure and honor. All right, PB, we'll see you soon. <laughs> I don't think I've told anybody at ESPN that. I don't think anybody who works with me knows that. Which so is this is this is uh, major news that my podcast is, is reporting. This is a this is a legitimate Pablo Torre scoop. It if really there ever is. was one, the downloads are going to skyrocket. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Wow. Godspeed. Enjoy your weekend. Tell Christopher I say hello and that uh, he missed being racially enlightened. I will. I will. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Hey, thanks, Pablo Torre. I really appreciated that. I thought that conversation really epitomized what the podcast is all about, which is a little bit of serious and a lot of bit of mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of fun. So uh, thanks, Pablo. And now, normally we would get to Mount Gregmore, but. Um, Producer Chris Cody has put his uh, corporate thumb on Mount Gregmore this week and uh, brushed it off. My dad is having a, is a conniption at the, what's a conniption? Is that a thing? Is that something uh, that someone if, has? If you can spell it, it's a thing. Go. Greg, Co- I'm not spelling it. Greg Cody is having a, a mental breakdown <laughs> because. Just in general or? <laughs> he thinks that you, that you, the audience, will not be able to fathom there being a Greg Cody show episode without a Mount Gregmore. And I'm just telling him, hey, you're on vacation. We had a good long conversation with Pablo. We don't need him out, Greg, more this week. And he is just, look at him. Like I can see his face right now. He's like sweating because there's no Mount Greg Moore in this week's episode. I'm, I'm not sweating because it's it's about 45 degrees right now and I'm in shorts. Short That's week, right. So. That's true. Um, no, I acquiesce to you, the producer. We're not going to have Mount Greg Moore this week, uh, even though it's timely. Uh, we will bring it back next week and it'll be all the better for uh, the anticipation of it. Uh, so we're going to go straight from Pablo to a closing because we've had a good show. We've enjoyed it. It's our first ever uh, Greg Cody show podcast before a live audience of an estimated three people. Um, Let's hear the crowd. Let's hear them. Woo! One of them left. <laughs> yeah. We, <laughs> we had three people and now we have two. <laughs> our staff. <laughs> our staff. <laughs> All right, Christ, just gather yourself, man. <laughs> Our studio audience has fallen by 33% from three to an estimated two, which is sad. But uh, the two who are here, you know, one's on our iPhone, the other's eating breakfast. Nobody's paying attention to me, but uh, we're having a good time. And listen, thank you, podcast family. We love you. uh, And um, we really appreciate you. Remember to catch us Mondays, 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM channel 145. And podcast family, we'll see you all next week. You gonna be okay? Please edit all that out. <laughs> I always ask you to, and you never do. Thanks a lot. Bye bye.